Okay. Think grandma's hands, clay pots, the mortar, pestles, and patience. Welcome to Flavor Quest. I'm your host, Leon, and I welcome you back this week to talk about grandma's cooking and what brings us to our next pillar of flavor. I'll introduce a rule that we should all integrate into our daily lives and kitchen practices if we desire to acquire the language of flavor. When grandma cooks her food, she's not cooking because she's the catalyst for the techniques passed down to her and from the experiences and lessons of her teachers and their teachers and their teachers too. And that, my friends, is a chain of learning and a bridge between times. So to cook like grandma or her teachers would, you must begin to watch their hands move. This is a pillar in the language of flavor. So, what secrets do the hands hold? I think the question is more along the lines of, what secrets can the hands teach us? And this brought me to another rabbit hole of flavor knowledge. So let's take a trip on down. In our more recent years, it has become relatively common practice to use nonstick metal cookware, stainless steels, and to use mechanical devices to handle the tricky and labor-intensive culinary process. Old pots and pans are tough to get the hang of, and without new non-slick coatings, often burning and stickage are a very real threat. So it only has made sense to push out the old and to pull in the new. But at what cost? In this shift towards ease and a fast-paced lifestyle, we've forgotten some valuable history. Because in the vast majority of our time here on planet Earth, we've approached the process very differently. Up until recent years, materials like clay, ceramics, stones, and wood were very prevalent in home kitchens around the world. And I have to add that today, they're still used in many places. I by no means will further separate us from the past. But using all these natural wares is more intentional than that necessity. This is why. Using clay and ceramic cookware actually has extraordinary health benefits. You can introduce minerals into your food like calcium, phosphorus, iron, magnesium, and sulfur. And for a two birds, one stone analogy, your food will actually taste better. This isn't speculative either because the porous and natural insulative properties that the clay has will create an even heat source that radiates throughout the whole dish, thus cooking your food better. It's not as conductive like its metal counterpart, but the heat retention and distribution is more desirable. Additionally, the minerals, additionally, the minerals will create another layer of seasoning and flavor in your final product. And I say seasonings here because these minerals are not plant-based, but they do affect the flavor and how you taste. According to the laws, those are seasonings. These flavors are for the experienced palate, but nonetheless, you'll get there on this path. That final product can last longer too without spoiling. Thanks to the antimicrobial properties that clay naturally has, you can transport a cooked batch of lentils on a 36-hour train ride through the mountains of Delhi and not have them spoil. No speculation. This was tried and tested by schools solely dedicated to the study of spices. Now that's a curriculum I'd happily sign up for. In many of our foods today, there tends to be an acidic theme. This is in part due to our palate. 
preservatives and souped up flavor enhancers that are pretty common now. So using a clay pot is king here thanks to its natural alkaline properties that'll neutralize the acidic properties of the food that it carries, thus reducing stomach and digestion issues. Yup, our predominant health issues in the West can be cured by the ways of the old, but hell, faster and efficiency is better, right? More importantly, if you use a clay pot, you just look that much cooler. Talking to you, Grandma. But on a serious note, it supports local trade. And if you cook with your local soil, you are connecting yourself to your ground that much more. Let's quit the talking and get stoned. No, seriously, let's bring the stones back. I mean, yes, but that's not what I'm talking about. I want to say, let's reintroduce stoneware back into our kitchens. First off, what do I mean by stoneware? I'm talking mortars, pestles, and grinding stones, and all of their derivatives. These are all just different forms of the beta, which was a half circle dug out from a dense rock and a crushing tool to go along with it. Usually a piece of the same stone or a long-handled wooden stump to pound, break apart, and combine its contents. Curry pastes, rices, oats, butter, and Tylenol all have one tool in common. You guessed it. And it can be traced back to olden times and civilizations around the whole world. For example, in Southwest Asia, there was a mortar and pestle found which dated to 35,000 years BC. In Sinai, there were some discovered that ranged from 22 to 18,000 years BC. And in northern Israel, in the Rockefeller Caves, there were deep mortars dug in the cave's floor with traces of ancient beer in them. These were put at about 10,000 years BC. Now that's the first craft brew. So as we move away from the stoneware, we're cutting an ancient tie that has bound us to our sustenance for ages. Having a mortar in your house also gives you the ability to make your own medicine. Now how dangerous would we be if we had the tools and knowledge to produce our own remedies? Imagine. And you can also grind your own dyes. And you have the ability to make salsa the correct way. So, whether it's a mocajete in Mexico or a coiva chai in Vietnam, a grinding stone is one form or another, a staple in kitchens for ages. The stone is held with the hand. Ah, and yes, this process does take more time than its mechanical counterpart. But when we sacrifice that time and effort for ease, we lose a level of flavor we cannot retrieve. And that is why grandma's food tastes better than yours. Because she's not rushing the final product. She's lived through her rush days. In Spanish, it's called la prisa, the rush. None of that here, please. So the secret ingredient is time. And a sprinkle of patience. But Leon, when we use metal cookware, it saves us exactly that. Easier to clean, it's quicker, it's faster. Better, better, better. All the benefits of the Bronze Age, but we've forgotten how to slow down in the process. Mm, yeah, they conduct better heat, but hell, sometimes turning your flame down to low and walking away for a few hours will make that stewed meat more tender. Rushing the process gives you chewy chunks. Not in my kitchen. I stayed up till 3 a.m. yesterday waiting for my stew to finish. Chew, no chance. How can we cook using time as our secret weapon? How can we cook like grandma does? Well, cooking with time is a difficult practice. Why? Because it's not quick. It goes against our modern day conditioning. Think long stews, 
underground cooking, intricate multi-step processes that cannot be rushed even if you tried or wanted. Like how many times have you heard a chef or a grandma reply when it's done after you ask how long to cook the stew for? Too many times. People will go crazy if they really knew how much effort goes into a simple sauce or an easy stew. It's hours of preparation, testing, cutting, chopping, sauteing, and then finally you get to put everything in the pot. And with another four hours of simmering, then it needs to sit again once it's done. It's a common misconception that it's okay to eat stews and curries and soups directly off the flame. Yeah, I mean, you can, but the pieces of meat need to cool down so they can reabsorb the broth and flavor that they've been cooking in, obviously. I mean, the real flavor comes the next day when everything is soaked in. And you can ask any damn chef just how frustrating it is to pack that stew away like a stowaway after you've been waiting the whole damn day just to eat the thing. But again, it's the practice of submission. And while I'm on the topic, season the next day too, because seasoning will concentrate. But just because we want the food to be done doesn't mean it's going to be done quickly. I actually ran a South Indian street food restaurant with a partner of mine in Cambodia. We lived in a village off of Otras Beach near the port city of Sihanoukville. Yeah. And I would sit outside our cute little restaurant cafe combo with my large mountain of cilantro to pluck. One by one. I'd pick each leaf. I spent hours. I mean hours picking them. And after that, that cilantro-based trauma, well, I have a lot more respect for the plant and what it demanded. It was no easy task. But, you know, I actually lived in that small village for three years. And there I would watch a slow way of life that would often confuse the wanderers that found themselves in that red dirt. It stained more than your clothes. It was off the beaten path and far away from the familiar context of what we knew. So it taught me to walk slow in the sand and to look straight when I hit gravel in the road. It was also in those years where I learned how to really use a mortar and pestle. I watched many sets of hands with intention there. It wasn't just a tool to crush garlic. No, it was much more complex than that. The tool itself will combine oils without adding air, like the mechanical blenders do. The mortar and pestle is like the slow cooker for making pastes, sauces, and spice blends. When you add garlic cloves, turmeric, and chopped lemongrass and begin to crush away, crush away, you use your arms and practice self-sacrifice. And you can end up in front of that thing for a long while. But it's not done until it's done. But that final product is nothing like what we can get with a sharp blade, speed, and revolution, right? No. They chop what you've got inside of them. A mortar and pestle crush and combined. It changes the molecular compounds and the makeup of it when you use a blade versus pressure, tension. I'd make fresh chili paste, aromatic starters, and I'd grind spices fresh for when I needed them. The restaurant was just one small chapter in that world. I spent months in the markets, just walking, listening, watching, observing, breathing. I sat on dirty stools eating the cleanest food. The slow, steady pounding noise of the wooden mortar would play in my ears like a drum. And as I ate lunch at the morning rice spots, Auntie would always be there preparing those pastes for the following day. 
understand that the mortar and pestle is a profound tool and is one of the first culinary building blocks of the modern world. So if you desire to learn how to navigate the high-tech kitchens of, the, of today and you don't understand how to wield a pestle, well, you're out of luck, chump. Because in this paradigm, I learned a powerful lesson that things take time and you must let your spices cook. This was a metaphor, but also a pillar and a rule in the epic temple of flavor that lies in the Indian subcontinent. Remember this. In our first episode, when we mentioned that spices need their flavors extracted, this law then resonates. It's in this step when your spices explode. After your garlic and shallots have sauteed for a few moments, minutes, you turn your heat low and add your spices. Then you let them cook until the oils and aromas have opened up like a flower in the midnight moon. When you first smell the aroma of turmeric cooking in a dollop of ghee, woo! Your life will never be the same. And for a long time, I suffered from ATMDP, always touching my damn pan. Moving a pan around is a Western practice of impatience. Just chill and watch the oils change colors. It's a delicious piece of art. But it's the styles and approaches that differ with the changing ingredients that you must use and the changing landscapes. In each temple, you must act differently with your food. Say, in a Western diner service, always keeping a handle shaking on those eggs is the difference between overcooked and perfect. But in a slow-paced jungle cooking environment, when your underground fire pit is scheduled to cook for 12 hours, you practice patience. Remember, things take as long as they need. And that is why Abuela's cooking tastes better than yours. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode called Watch the Hands. I'll need to reiterate how important that phrase will be for you before I sign off. Remember that this isn't like the textbooks you read in school. We learn differently here. And we're here for bigger reasons. Next time you're cooking with Grandma, watch her measure how much salt she adds. It'll teach you a lot more than you think. My name is Leon. And this is Flavor Quest.